It was January the 14th, 2017. We were living in Orlando, Florida, and the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Now, that's a reference that people under the age of 20 won't get, but just stay with me, let, you know, with me anyway. They announced that they were closing the circus. In 1941, I mean, excuse me, in 1841, Barman started his, his, uh, his show. And then in 1871, the Barnum Bailey, the, the circus started traveling, initially under big tops and then eventually into, into coliseums. I remember in 1971, thanks for this little history lesson. In 1971, I remember, uh, I remember the big parade in Knoxville as they would take the, the, the elephants would go from the train station to the Civic Coliseum where they would, they would have the, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And I remember going as a, as a relatively young boy and, and, and with eyes full of wonder and excitement as you saw the, the elephants and the lions and the tigers and the three rings, and it was just amazing. And so when I heard that it was, it was no more, and they were coming through Orlando in their last spin through, I said, I've got to take Skylar to see the Barnum and Bailey and circus, whatever. I, I didn't say it correctly just then, but you're with me. You know what I meant. And so I had to take Skylar to see the circus. And so I got online. I found there were tickets. I was kind of surprised there'd be tickets. I thought, my goodness, I would have thought it'd sold out. I mean, after all, it's the circus and it's their last run through. The matter of fact, their final show was in May of that year, 2017, in New York City. And I took Skylar and we had pretty good seats. And and the women didn't seem near as beautiful as they did back in 1970-something. And, and the elephants, they, they looked more tired than exotic. The tigers looked more bored than dangerous. The, 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 the ringmaster seemed preoccupied. I looked at Skylar. There wasn't much wonder in his eyes. It was just kind of... Uh, a little bit old. The shiny had kind of come off the circus. You know, most of us, as we look at a new year together, as we say, I'm going to begin the new year, and we, and we start, most of us start kind of a, a process to slow down the decay. You know, we, we say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise more, I'm going to eat better food, or now we're gonna, and basically, our goal is to slow down the decay because the, the, the shiny is coming off. The shiny is coming off our lives and our world. We're getting a little more cynical. And, and so the goal often at the beginning of the year is, okay, how can I slow that down just a little bit? We make resolutions. Matter of fact, I, I, I don't work out that often, but the last couple of days I've tried to work out a couple of times. Uh, that's doubled the number of times I've worked out in my life. And... Uh, I found I, I was over at, at Planet Fitness. This is just a side note, not an important part of the sermon, but just a side note. Uh, and I was doing the circuit for the for the out of weight old people that do it really quickly. That you know none of us look very fit when we do this thing. But I noticed every time I got on the machine that the little thing was down at the very bottom. And I realized the guy in front of me was trying to make me think that he was lifting all that weight. And so every time I'd get a machine, it was all the way at the bottom. And I thought, there's no way that guy doesn't look any better shape than me. How, he couldn't possibly be lifting that, but he, he kept putting it on the bottom. So I decided, you know, you can either go big or go real, real small. So I decided I would put mine at the very top so that the next person would go, well, 
that guy looks pretty weak. So I decided that, anyway, that, that has nothing to do with, other than the fact <laughs> that we have, we make resolutions, and we make resolutions with the idea, um, I'm going to slow down the process. I'm going I'm to I'm do something to keep the shiny from coming off the surface. And then there's a God who says something absolutely profoundly different from that. That wants us to see our life not as a slow down the decay process. He doesn't want us to figure out ways to, to kind of hold off the inevitable. But he says this radical, radical thing. He says that he is going to make all things new. I don't feel very new. I often feel old. I sometimes feel tired. And yet, the God of the universe that's invited us to relationship with him says that he's not in the process of painting up old things to make them look a little better a little longer, but that he's in the business of making all things new. What if I believe that this year? I mean, what if I stepped into this year with this, with this belief that God wants me to participate in the process of him making all things new? That I'm not just supposed to try to get a little bit better. But I'm being made new. Paul says I'm becoming a new creation. The old passed away, behold, the new has come. That's not how it usually feels for me. To me, it feels more like I'm an aging circus that's losing some of its shiny. And before long, I was just going to have to shut down because nobody's that interested anymore. Wow. What if God has very different plans for you and me? than decay. I think he does. And so, this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at a passage with you. A passage that declares how the story ends. And sometimes it's helpful when you start something to become very aware of how the story ends. Because if you understand how it ends, you can live with the hope when things, when the shiny starts to go away. Because you know that's not the end of the story. By the way, if, if you're worried about decay and you're thinking, well, if that's Seth, he looks much older than he did a few weeks ago. Um, I am not Seth Hammond, if you're visiting here. Seth's our, our pastor. And if you'd been watching, the, watching uh, kind of what we're planning on, Seth was supposed to be here today, and he was supposed to preach, and, and um, his family, he's doing pretty well, but some people in his family have COVID, and so he decided it'd be a good idea for him not to come, and so Friday, he called and said, hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? And I said, well, I'm going to pretend I'm you, and, uh, and, and so I know you're pretty disappointed that, that, that either that Seth has looked much older than he used to look, 
or that you're not getting the beginning of this series he's about to start, which is going to be a fantastic series. So we're going a little different direction today. He'll pick up that series that he's starting next week. Does that make sense? All right. So we're going to look at a passage together where God says he's making all things new. But before we look at his word, before we talk about him, let's talk to him. And so let's pray together this morning. Let's pray. Father, you know us all. We stand at the cusp of a new year. And you know every person in this room, you brought them here. Father, we are we're probably more tired than we are hopeful. We're probably more weary than we are alive. We're probably more anxious than we are faithful. Would you meet us here this morning? Father, you know the people that are struggling deeply with all the anxiety and all the things going on in our, in our time. You know the folks that fought on the way here this morning. You know the people that are struggling with doubt and hopelessness. And, we, and you know the people that are doing, doing well. No one in here is a surprise to you. So, Father, this morning, would you recapture our hearts with you, a God who makes all things new. For the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use our time together to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort? And would you use it to equip us all for your glory and your great purposes? We pray in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, the passage I'd like to look at with you is found in Revelation. It's the, it's the last vision that John speaks about. It's how the story ends. And I want to just remind you, as we're caught up in the middle of the story, how the story ends and who the God is and what his purpose is in making us new. So if you'll stand, I'm going to read from Revelations 21. If you're able to stand, stand. And I'm just going to read to you this passage. Listen closely because it's, a, it's an amazing, it's the last vision in the, in the book of Revelations. And it, it is, it's, it's just a powerful, powerful piece. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, he who was sitting on the throne, that would be Jesus, said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them a spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You can be seated. This is the time of year where a lot of people make resolutions. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Except usually they last till about March. I think they say that less than 8% of them make it through the year. It's not a bad idea. I'm not suggesting you don't make goals or resolutions. But often the reason they don't work is because they usually are about us and they're about our plans and they're really... They're usually about trying to get God to endorse what we want to do. It's usually about self-help, and it's not really about change. I've got two strategies with resolutions. One is the strategy to to go low. Um, You know, like, one of my resolutions is exercise less, eat more, sleep more, and open my Bible just every once in a while. That would be, those would be resolutions that, that you know, I, that it's pretty easy to, to deal with. And sometimes, you know, I urge one person to say their resolution this year was to not date a supermodel. Now, there was, it's like, well, here, I think maybe you can pull that off. I think that's, a, that's, that's the idea of I'm going to, when it comes to, when it comes to my future, when it comes to, is it possible for me to change? Can I get better? Will I ever be something more than what I am now? Can I get better? One strategy is to say, probably not, and just lower expectations for everybody. And then if you get like a, a D, people will go, well, at least they didn't fail. And it's a kind of a, a lower expectations. It's a great strategy, and that's how some people deal with resolutions. The other is kind of the go big, you know, and that's like, you know, this year I'm going to do the 10,000-mile challenge, and so, you know. I'm going to run 10,000 miles. I would say, well, that would be, uh, you're going to run 3,000 miles a day. You know, just something so big, or I'm going to lose 200 pounds. Well, that would mean I I would weigh 30 pounds. That would be a difficult thing to do. Um, So the the other strategy is to kind of, I'm going to try really, really hard. And, you know, I'm going to play football this year. I'll play in the Super Bowl. Or I'm going to run in a marathon. I'll run in the New York City marathon. I mean, it's the idea where you set some goal that's so high I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to read the Bible. I'm going to memorize the entire Bible this year. And so it's that, it's that, so the one strategy of kind of how do I deal with the future, because there's a gap between what I am and what I want to be. One is to lower expectations. The other is to kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. Neither of which work. I guess if you had to choose, I'd rather you try harder than not. But you'll probably forget it by March. See, God is not wanting to invite you into a restoration project. 
he's not wanting to invite you into a process where you just learn to try harder. He's inviting you into a process where what is dead becomes alive. What is lost becomes found. What is decaying becomes new. That's, that's such a bigger thing than just trying to slow down the inevitable. That's such a more radical thing. It's so radical that when Jesus gave this vision and he, and he gives this story, he actually sandwiches that truth. It's such a wild truth that God is making all things new. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's such a radical truth for you and I to believe that in our cynicism that Jesus sandwiched that promise between a reminder of who he is and where he is, his authority, and with an oath at the end of it. Let me show you what I mean by that. Uh, and I heard a loud, a loud voice from the throne saying... Um, and then again in verse 5, and he was seated at the throne, behold, I'm making all things new. Before he says that, he reminds you twice, I have the authority to say that, I'm saying this from the throne. You know, one of the biggest problems we have is we, we get all our information now from the internet, mostly, from people who don't have any authority whatsoever, or people who don't have authority, or really don't know what they're talking about. And so the issue for us is not knowledge or information anymore. It used to be. It used to be where can I get good information, you know, where can I get information? Now what we need is discernment. Because it's, it's what we're getting, being told, really from an authoritative, honest place. And so God says in this, listen, I'm going to say something that's so radical, you're going to have a hard time believing it. I make all things new. By the way, I'm saying that from the throne. I have the authority. I'm the God of the universe, sitting on the very throne of the universe, and it's declared from there. Twice he points out his position. Then, what does he say after it? Behold, I am making all things new. In verse 5, also he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha. I'm the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says this radical truth. In the beginning, he says, I'm saying it from the throne. With the authority of of the God of the universe, I make all things new. Write it down. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It's done. You can count on it. He says this radical truth between a reminder of his position and his authority and an oath from the very God of the universe. Because he knew we would kind of go, well, I don't know that I really want things to be new. I just want to slow down the process. I just want to, you know, don't let the shiny go off too quick. See, we were born into a world that without Christ is a world with veiled faces. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Well, I better let me read to you what Paul means by that when he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to this. It's just powerful stuff. Therefore, since we have such hope, wow, what would it be like to go into this, this year with hope? What would it be if you had hope? How would you live differently? Well, listen. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. 
we are not like Moses who put over a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the, when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only Christ can take it away. Let me stop for a second and say what that's about. Moses, after he sees the radiance of, of God, covered his face because he knew he lived in a time where glory was fading. And he didn't want the Israelites to see the, the shine on his face, the wonder of his face when he saw God for who he was. And, and, the, and he just walked back with this radiance. But he ended up covering his face because he didn't want the Israelites to see how that radiance started to fade over time. The priests would do the same thing. When they went into the Holy of Holies, they would come out and cover their, their faces with a veil. That veil was to, because there were, they lived in a time of the old covenant where glory was fading. Now, listen to what he says next. Because we don't live in that. We live in a time of hope so we can live boldly. And then what does he say? Now, the Lord, but when... But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when that veil is taken away, there's freedom, because glory is increasing, not decreasing. And we, who with unveiled faces, listen to that, we, people who know Christ now on this side of glory, the veil has been taken down. We with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. What the saying there is, I mean, the simplest way, how do we change? I change when I see the glory of God in your face because from glory to glory, he's changing me. When I see the glory of God, that increasing glory of God in another, there's something about that that's just compelling. See, we live in a time between... You veiled your face because it was a time of decay and things were going down. But because of Christ, the veil is torn. We have God's presence. And this is a time where things are being made new. We're going from a time of the old covenant where things are fading and decaying to a time of the new covenant where things are being made new. What if we believe that? How would we live? Well, Paul says we'd live boldly. Paul says we'd have freedom if we, if we realize that we live in a season of unveiled faces. We don't have to live in shame. Unveiled faces. A couple of things, just a note real quick from the passage, and we could, we could do a 10-week series on this, on just this, on this one vision. It's incredible. So a couple of things you'll want to notice when you look at it later on um, yourself. Notice, um, notice what, what, what does it mean when God makes all things new? It's a restoration project. It's not a, it's, 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 he's, re, he's redeeming and restoring. He's making things new. He's not just painting up old that's still old and rusty. He's making it new. Um, what comes new? Spirituality and morality. 
Um, I, I, I have a new spiritual spirituality and a new morality. I, well, my biggest struggle in life is, is, is with, I try harder. I'm going to be nicer this year. And that goes until somebody pulls in front of me. Some of us will struggle with being nice in the parking lot when somebody pulls in front of us. Didn't they see me? Weren't they just in church? You know, we'll, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of have that pettiness. I'm, I'm so, will I ever get over it being so petty? Oh, Lord. What would it be if I didn't, it wasn't a self-help project to make me better, but you were making me new. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. What would it be if I understood the gospel is selling something much more powerful than just try harder? It's not self-help. It's God's reclamation project to redeem and to restore and to make new. He gives you a new spirituality. He gives you a new morality. He gives you a new body. That'll be nice. Um, my, my old body has not been near as uh, efficient as I would have hoped. Boy, I think of my son Skyler. Think what it would be like when he is made new. And autism doesn't have a, a place in his story. What else may has come new? Our identity. If I understand the gospel, my identity is no longer based on shame, what I've done wrong. It's not based on my successes, what I've done right. It's not based on what I've accomplished. It's not based on what I've got, how much stuff I've got. It's not based on how other people see me. It's not based on, he gives me a new identity based on him. So get a new body, a new morality, a new spirituality, a new identity. See, this project God is up to of making all things new makes dead alive, makes slave free, makes blind see, makes broken healed. That's the new heaven and the new earth. That's what creation is now turned toward. Well, let's be kind of practical for a minute. So how do we change? How, how do we cooperate with a God who isn't trying to just get you to try harder this week, but is actually wanting to make you new? How, how, how do we cooperate with that kind of work in our lives? Let me give you just a couple of principles. First, you've got to make sure that you're aligned with God's purposes, not yours. See, most of us, want to use God to solve our problems. Most self-help, most, most books in Christian bookstores are, here's how you can use God to solve your problems. Here's how you can use God to make your marriage better. Here's how you can use God to be a better parent. Here's how you can use God to make you better. In other words, how can you use God to change your circumstances? And I just would want to suggest to you that I don't think that's God's purpose. I think God's purpose is to use your problems to bring them to him. We want to use, our, use God to solve our problems. God wants to use our problems to bring us to him. That's his goal. His goal is a relational goal with us. He's, he's not 
So often people come to me in my office and they want to say, how can I get to point from point A to point B? And maybe, just maybe, God wants to make you new at point A. What if God wants you to stay in point A and become new instead of changing your circumstances and taking you to point B? Now, I'm not suggesting that, there, you've not, that God is not, that there aren't times where God will be concerned about your comfort and concerned about, but that's not his primary concern. His primary concern is, your, is making you new, a part of his creation and his glory and his purposes in your life, not, not changing your circumstances so, you have, so you've got what you want, but because changing who you are to become who he wants you to be, who you were made to be, what will ultimately make you alive and free and hopeful and bold. So how do we change? First, you have to make sure you're aligned with God's purposes not just your own. Remember, most people want to use God to solve our problems. God wants to use our problems to bring us to him. Second thing, you've got to live in the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We all lie to ourselves a little bit. I mean, I'll just tell you the truth. Sometimes, sometimes I look at my, whenever I see a picture of myself, I'm a little disappointed. And the reason is I look at it, I go, I'm bald. Now, when did that happen? Now, that happened a long time ago, but I still kind of, I lie to myself. I kind of say to myself when I'm just walking along, you know, you're looking pretty young. I don't think I look young to anybody. I mean, you know, it's, it's really sad now when I go somewhere and they give me the, the senior citizen discount without me asking. It's like, would you at least just say to me, you know, are you over 60? Instead of just assuming it, would you just, would you just look at me and go, you know, I, I like it, you know, it, not, not that I would ever buy wine, but I like it if I were to buy wine, if they would, when they ask me, it's like, I realize it's the law that makes you ask me, but I'm so glad because inside you're going, why am I asking this guy? He looks like he's, you know, he, you know, he's older than this wine is. What are, you know, what is this deal? So anyway, I regress. But ultimately, the idea of do you tell yourself the truth? You don't get better by pretending. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to pretend. There's a point where it's really important if you want to change. First, that you align with God's purposes. But second, you tell the truth. It's kind of like in the mall where you have that map that has a little red dot on it that says you are here. One of the most important things you can do is go, I'm here even if it's not a good place. I'm tired. I'm scared. I'm angry. I'm lonely. I feel lost. I'm frustrated. Where's your red dot? Sometimes people come into my counseling office and say, well, how do you feel right now sitting in the room? They go, I don't know. Well, if you did know, what would, what, 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 what do you, where's your red dot? Where are you? Because you've got to live in the truth. You're not going to get better until you're living the, willing to live in the truth. Now, I don't say you, I, when I say living in the truth, I don't mean to come up with an excuse or to come up with a thing to justify. But I want to tell you, Jesus did not deal with our sin by minimizing it. He didn't, he, he didn't the way Jesus dealt with our sin was not by saying, hey, it's not a big deal. No, he took it incredibly seriously. 
I love all the lists of sins in the Bible because what they'll be is it'll be like murder, you know, big things. And then they'll say, and gossip. And you go, <laughs> clearly that wouldn't be in the same list. I mean, you, clearly you obviously made a mistake to include that. No, it's because we're, we're in a mess and, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge where we are. We need to tell ourselves the truth. We don't want to minimize our struggles. We don't want to justify and rationalize it. But it's helpful to understand why you struggle with what you struggle with. Very, very few people in this room are mentally ill. I'm going to give a list in a few minutes. But, and because of that, I want you to know you're creating the image of God, and you're a teleological being, which is a fancy way of saying there's a reason you do what you do. And it's helpful it's helpful for you to know why you do what you do. It's helpful to know your story, not for the sake of self, that would be a waste of time, but for you to know your story, to know how Satan will attack you, to notice why it is you always have to be right, why it is that you're the one that always has to uh, be noticed, why is it that money means so much more to you than it ought to, why it's helpful to know the whys, not because it justifies it, but because it helps you understand how to repent more specifically. What the old Puritans used to call, say, looking for the sin beneath the sin. I'll say, you know, I'm so sorry, I've just got so angry. But I think God would want me to go, why is it you're always angry when someone seems to disrespect you? What's that about? You want to change? Make sure you're aligned with God's purposes. And second, be radically honest about who you are, what you are, what your story is, and how you got where you got. It'll help you to repent more specifically. It'll help you to understand the process of change better. And ultimately, it will um, ultimately it'll help you to to. to to identify what, why you don't just need a tune-up, why you need to be made new. See, we don't have, this world without Christ doesn't need a tune-up. It, it's got a cancer that will kill it, has killed it, called sin that without his work, you don't need just to try hard. You need to be changed and made new. First, you've got to align with his purpose. And second, you've got to be radically honest. Satan loves secrets. He loves the dark. Third, you need to understand that you don't do this alone. You're, we are relational beings. And if you're going to change... You're going to have to do that through relationship with God and with others. I mean, even psychologists don't believe in, even people who don't believe in God will say, you have a better chance of changing if you let other people in on it. Well, we have much better reason to do that. We're relational beings made in the image of God, and God wants in relationship we change. I always, you know, you, you'll sometimes read some of the old desert fathers of Christianity, or, or you'll hear some guy say, you know, I went out in the wilderness and I became so close to God. And there's times to go out and be reflective and be in the wilderness, but I want you to know, I think I could be a good Christian out in the wilderness because I wouldn't have to see anybody. 
People wouldn't get on my nerves. Nobody would cut me off. I wouldn't have to compare myself to anybody else who's got more than me. I wouldn't be so petty. I, I, could, I could just kind of, I think I could be real spiritual by myself not seeing anybody. But we're relational beings. Change takes place in the context of relationship. As a matter of fact, the list, if you look at the list from our text, it says, who doesn't get this heritage of change? Who doesn't get this heritage of a new, of being made new? People that are cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, or liars, all of those are relational things. Um, maybe with the exception of sorcerers. It's relational with other people and with God. Today, sorcerers would be people that would be people who were looking for the magic bullet to fix them. I just need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do that. That's the sorcerer. It's magical thinking. Um, and all of those tend to be relational things. So if you want to change, you first have to align with God's purposes. Second, you have to live in the truth. Third, you have to do it in relationship with others. which will include confession. Now, I don't want you to confess to everybody everything that ever happens. I mean, when you go through Ingalls and, and the lady says, how are you doing today? He said, well, you know, I thought about stealing this, but I didn't. Don't do that. <laughs> but, but, to be, but, but to confess, to be able to ensure that you tell this, what's really going on in your lives. Fourth, notice the promise that God gives when he gives us, he says that he is present with us. If you were lost, would you rather have a map or an expert standing with you who knows the way? I mean, does a GPS ever get on your nerves? You know, because it, it doesn't think on the fly very well. You know, so you say, I think I'll go to this other road. And it's like, I'm redirecting right now. Turn around. And go, I don't want to turn around. I want to keep going. I know there's got to be a way to get over. What I really like with me is not a GPS, but a person who knows the roads, who knows the path. Do you really want a bunch of principles to follow or a person to be present with you in the journey. And the promise of a changed life, the promise of I make all things new is not I'm going to give you a set of principles for you to read. It's I will be with you. I will be present. Practicing the presence of God. Also, not only do you want to align with God's purposes, live in the truth, be relational, do something, do, uh, be involved in the change process with God and others, uh, which includes confession. You want to practice his presence. Um, next, con connect with your values, not just your behavior. Be real quick here. I, I don't want to go over. Um, connect with your values, not just your, not just your behavior. By the way, we, most of us confess a lot of our behavioral sins when I think we ought to be a little more curious about our relational sins. We have a tradition in our family on New Year's Eve, we kind of we try to all get together and we talk about our goals for the year. And sometimes we come up with a word for the year. Um, sometimes we don't, but we kind of have that. So we did this this year by Zoom because of COVID. And one of my kids is down in Florida, and so we did that by Zoom. And so we all went around the room and we, we went around the Zoom and we talked about what our goals were. And then I started talking again after I thought we'd all th gone through. And then then Mona said. Um, Nobody waited to hear my goal. And, uh, and I said, that's because we don't care about your goals. No, that, that's not what I said. Um, I, 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 uh, and then, then she went on to say, you know, sometimes I just wish that you would notice kind of what I'm doing. 
And, uh, and so later on, we, when we were talking about it, everything in me wanted to be defensive and say, let me tell you all the things I do. Let me tell you the things I do. Let me, I, I work hard, you know. Instead, I was thinking of an example of one to learn. And, and she said, do, do you realize the Christmas tree is out of the living room? Now, I want to tell you, it's not a little Christmas tree. It's a big Christmas tree. And I said, okay, your point, well taken. Uh, so I didn't notice that you had done that. Uh, now, she wasn't being mean or ugly. She was just telling the truth. And if I'd gotten just looking at my behavior, I would have tried to justify myself. But for just a moment, and a rare moment of thinking of being made new instead of just trying harder, I thought about my value. And one of my values as a husband is that I want to be responsive to my wife. And I don't want her someday to say, he missed everything that was important to me. And if I'm going to be a responsive person, that's one of my values, then instead of being defensive and saying, well, let me tell you all the things I do, it was, oh my goodness, I don't want to be known as a husband who's not responsive to you. That's my value. And so if you want to change, connect with your values, not just your behavior. Well, we're almost done, but I'd like to just get real practical for the last four minutes. Remember I told you if we went to the circus back in 2017? My favorite act in the circus is the trapeze people. Now, for those of you that have, ne don't, have never gone to a circus, here's what would happen. Way up in the top of the building, there'd be these ropes with these little bars on them. And these people would get on these, you know, would climb up into these big stands. And this person would, would that's flying through the air, by the way, if you're having trouble following. They'd fly through the air holding on to this thing. And then the person on the other side would, would come down and sometimes they would be hanging upside down with their arms out to catch them. And sometimes they would just let go of the thing in, for, in perfect timing. And then this person would let go and then grab on. And then they'd fly into the other side. And then they'd, they'd hang off of it and there'd be such freedom and it was amazing. Well, I'd like to get real practical with you. If you'd like to join God in this process of making all things new this year, I'd like you to think like a trapeze artist for just a minute. And the first thing you're going to have to do if you're going to be a trapeze artist is you have to let go before you can grab on. If you really want to change and live not as a, a slow down the inevitable, but being made new, you got to first say, what do I have to let go of? And I'd like you to get real practical this week. I'd like you to write it down. What do I need to let go of in my life? What am I holding on to? And don't just get surfacy. Try to get to, why is it you have to always be right? Why is it you still think money will satisfy your soul? Why is it you still think you have to prove yourself to your father who's no longer alive? Why is it you still have to, what do you have to let go of? Because the reason many of us are just on a, a, a lesser basis, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're just trying to slow down the inevitable instead of living as new creatures. And that's because we're holding on to the past. We're holding on to something that we need to let go of. Maybe there's something you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone 
Maybe you need to face why it is you hold such a long account on other people. I don't know. But the first step I want you to deal with practically on how do we change, how do we participate with God of the universe who wants to make all things new, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to let go of so you can grab on? Second thing, practically, identify the, the, the values beneath that behavior you have to let go of. Gives you an idea of what to repent of. Why? Third, remember a trapeze artist can't do a trapeze act by themselves. That's just a person on a swing. Trapeze artist has to have somebody with them. And ultimately, God has to be with you. But you have to have other people on the journey with you. Who? So, what do you have to let go of? What are the values underneath the thing that you're holding on to? Who do you need to confess that to and invite into the change process along with God? Last, or next, remember, in the circus, while everybody was looking up, what you would notice if you paid clear close attention is that while they were looking up, workers put a net underneath. So just in case... If they, miss the, if they miss it, they'd fall into a safety net. And I want you to know that in this process of making all things new, there's a safety net. God is not asking for perfection. He's asking for faithfulness. And you won't be destroyed if you risk looking foolish. You'll only be destroyed if you choose to be a coward. Because you never get off the first bar. Last, remember that someday you'll soar. He, on the authority of who he is from the throne, and with an oath and a promise at the end, says, I will make all things new. And you live this year with a boldness because you have the hope in knowing that a God of the universe will make you and I new for his glory and for his purposes. And someday he'll, we will soar like that. And there'll be someday where we will not need the safety net for he has changed us and we are made new. So my fellow trapeze artists, this year, this week, I challenge you. Identify what you need to let go of. Be honest. Think about what's underneath the things you've been holding on to so long. Invite God and other people into that process. Know there's a safety net. It's not about perfection. It's about faithfulness. And always remember. Always remember. He's making all things new. You are becoming a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new.